Hello, welcome back to This Mama Means Business, episode 65. Today, I want to introduce you to a really special friend of mine, Rosa Castano. Rosa is going to share her story with us today, as well as some ideas, thoughts, advice around the whole concept of mindfulness, but in a really tangible way, in a way that's actually going to make you stop and think about practices you might need to start that don't take a lot of time. We are all busy busy women, high-performing women that are running our businesses, that are building our families. And I would say as stressed enough, we have enough on our plate without adding meditation or without adding extra self-care things onto that list. This is where Rosa comes in. She's especially passionate about helping high-performing women and CEO mums manage stress at work and at home to create a better work-life integration and create more space for happiness and well-being. And she does it in a really incredible way. This episode covers everything from the real definition of mindfulness and how we can use it to change the way we choose to react in any given situation to what self-care actually gets to look like, how life actually gets to feel. And we even delved into the power of breath and we talked about our birth stories and we talked about what life as women, as mothers, as business owners, as wives, as friends gets to look like. I hope you love this conversation as much as I loved having it with her, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's welcome Rosa to the podcast. Rosa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat to you today. Likewise, I know we were just talking earlier how the timing works out perfect, because what time is it there? It is 11.14 in the morning. So you're starting your morning, and this has worked out because it's 8.15 in the evening here in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been able to put baby to bed. Everything is quiet. It's still before my bedtime, which is such an important part. So I love that we've uh, been able to align on this and have this conversation. Oh, I love it. So good. So I feel like I know you quite well, as we were just talking about through social media, but for our listeners, for anyone joining us, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. I spent the last 15 plus years in the corporate workplace. I was in a small business. I was in an entrepreneurial startup as director of sales. And then um, COVID, you know, that little thing that happened to the world uh, forced the end of my career at a large nonprofit museum here in Nashville. And I had always had my own well-being and wellness practice that I leaned on. And I honestly thought that everybody did because, you know, when it's something that you do, your bubble is so small that you just assume that other people do. But as I continued my career, got more into the workforce, both domestically and internationally, I realized that that part, a lot of people don't know what you don't know. And so when my job position was eliminated, I was five months pregnant, which was great timing. (laughs) And I made the decision One, sometimes the universe just burns your boats for you. I always knew I wanted to do something on my own, but I didn't really know in what capacity. And so I decided to lean into the experience that I had in the corporate world and uh, combine it with my expertise and my training that I've done on my own with wellness and well-being. I am a certified meditation teacher as well as a yoga teacher and a mindfulness-based stress reduction leader. And so I took all of those elements and just combined them and created these programs, stress management the workplace. And they were landing so well. And I pivoted my social media to reflect that. And a lot of people started reaching out to me, individuals. And obviously, I mostly align with uh, with women since I am one and um, a mom. And um, I had them reaching out to me and saying, I, I need help just in my personal life. I need help learning how to integrate my work in my personal life and all while having a family. 
And so I kind of was like, okay, well, there's something to there. So along with my stress management and cultivating resilience workshops for the workplace, I'm also in the process of creating um, online courses for individuals like that as well. And so it's been just a really interesting sector because because of COVID, um, a lot of people spend a lot of time by themselves and with their own thoughts. And we're always so busy in our lives, and especially um, before then, just go, 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 that when people were forced to sit and be still, it brought up a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. It threw a lot of people into panic mode. And without some of those practices of resiliency or self-care or whatever that might look like to the individual to lean back on, it was really putting people in a dark spot. And then especially with, um, and again, I don't know how it was in Australia, but here, you know, being personally affected by it, the workplace was shrinking because job positions were having to be eliminated because every place was closing and the doors were closing and a lot of people were forced to pivot. But I saw a lot of extra work being put onto people who did remain in the workforce, you know, all of our essential workers and just people who could work remotely or that it just had to be. And so I was like, this feels like my calling. This feels like my time to step into this space and bring this awareness. How do we have stress management? How do we cultivate resiliency, both in our personal and our professional lives? And it's been really well received. And I've been very grateful for all the opportunities that I've had that have led me to this moment of being able to chat with you. Oh my goodness. So there's so much to that little introduction that we could dive into, right? Firstly, I love how you said the universe burns your boats for you because I think that that so many times and so much around the pandemic, like you said, so many people had to pivot and had to try something new and had to change their direction. And and also, like you said, had to kind of slow down and sit with themselves. And I can be the first to say that it was uncomfortable, right? It was really challenging. And I know a lot of our listeners are like high-performing, high-achieving women that obviously are building their business while they raise their babies. And slowing down sometimes is hard and I know myself, like I'm the first to admit I'm on the bottom of my priority list a lot of the times because my to-do list all seems really important. So I think that's why I resonated so much with um, what you're putting out on social media. And when I first connected with you, I was like, oh my goodness, I need you in my life and I need to have you on the podcast and share you with my audience because it's such important work. And I think often we just need those tools in our toolkit, right, to know how to start because as high-performing people, high-achievers, I, I, I'm not good at meditating. I'm not good at slowing down. So I would love to lean into that conversation with you of like, how do we start this? How do we actually start to integrate some of this into our life that's not as uncomfortable as it could be, I suppose? Yes. And, and that's one of my favorite things is really bringing it to a meet people where they're at because it can be a very intimidating thing when I always hear people, just like what you said, right? I'm not good at meditating. Everyone can do it. But they're like, I'm not good at sitting still. And I'm like, good, don't sit still. Um, but to not uh, get a, too far ahead of myself, going back to what you said before about that you put yourself on the bottom of the to-do list, right? So one of the things that I try to relate to high-performing individuals, uh, specifically uh, moms in that aspect, is can't pour from the empty cup. You know, we've heard of that one before. Who benefits when we're down, right? Nobody, least of all us. We can't take care of our business. We can't take care of our family. And so it's very counterintuitive when you think about it, actually. We should be the first things that we take care of because if we're the ones who are driving the ship, if we're the ones who are, you know, maybe head of the families, head of the business, head of whatever it is that is in your life, you have to be 
at 100%. Because if you're not, then you don't get to do what you were meant to do and put out into the world. You don't get to care for the ones around you how you're supposed to. And so, so many people say, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do myself last or I'll get to myself. And it's like, no, you have to get to yourself first. It's not selfish. It's self-care. It's so hard to think about it that way. And I will say everything is with a caveat. You know, there's seasons where it's like, we're just going to have to push through. I call them push seasons. And we have to sometimes just push through that moment. But the difference is it's not staying in that season, right? We have our peaks and valleys, but we have usually kind of a baseline. And that baseline is where we need to have that constant self-care, that ritual of returning to self first so that way we can care for others. That way we can see our business thrive. Because if we go down, who's doing the business stuff? You know, we have to lean extra on our family and all those things, the, all the details that we do without kind of giving it a second thought. So it's not selfish and we have to put ourselves first. And it's called a practice for a reason. And maternal instincts will tell us to constantly put everybody else first. But the way our world is now, we're doing everything, right? So there's no, well, this is our lane. We're in all the lanes. So we have to make sure that we are well taken care of and we have to look after ourselves first. That way we can look after everybody else with just the clearest mind. I love that reframe Rosa about it not being selfish because I think that is often, like you said, the maternal instinct as mums and we want to look after everyone. We want to we want to make sure everybody else's needs are taken care of, but making sure that ours is taken care of first is kind of the first step in looking after everybody else, in doing that. Um, so I love that mindset reframe. It's almost like I heard somebody say the other day about they were talking about rest and instead of thinking about rest as being lazy. Think about rest as being productive. Like you need to rest and recharge to be your most creative self, to be the best mom and business owner that you can be. And it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's like, well, hang on, let's think about self-care a little bit differently. And, and like you said, start doing practices that can introduce that into our life. Yes, exactly. And I use the analogy of our phones, something that is attached to our hip. Do you wait till your phone is completely dead and shut off before you plug it back in? Or do you see that it's at 75% or 45%? You're like, ooh, I need to get it recharged. And then to further that analogy, when the phone is completely dead, how long does it take for it to come back on versus if you would just charge it when it needs to be charged? It's the same thing with us. It takes us two times as long to get back online to re-engage when we are burnt out or when we are just completely depleted. Versus if we would have that practice of self-care along the way, it's constantly recharging us and constantly rejuvenating us and resetting us and allowing us to maintain our battery to keep it full. Ladies, I have to tell you about something so juicy and so exciting that I have coming up. I have created a private podcast series all about how I grew my email list from zero to over 1,000 women in less than six months organically without wasting time or money. So if you're sick of showing up and feeling like no one can even hear you above the online noise, if you don't have time to create and share freebies to grow your audience slowly, if you want to be seen as the expert in your niche without waiting 10 years for that to happen, and you're tired of launching new offers and creating new sales pages all for no one to buy, this podcast series is for you. 
It's only five episodes long and it is totally free. Head over to kyliekelly.com slash private to sign up today. And I can't wait to get this juicy content into your earbuds because it has the power to change everything for you. And I don't say that lightly. Come and join us. I hope to see you there. Head over to kyliekelly.com slash private. All right, let's jump back to the episode. Yeah. And I guess the practice doesn't need to take hours, right? It can be simply like a 15 minute, you know, reading a book or going for a little brisk walk or having a bath, or it doesn't have to be this like two hour long meditation, which is what I think of straight away when I think about meditation. P.S. Exactly. Exactly. And it's absolutely not that, right? Because who has those two hours? Not me, not you, not any of the listeners. So my philosophy is, again, I feel like I do everything counterintuitive. I'm like, go for the low hanging fruit, go for the easy win. If you've never meditated before, start with two minutes. Two minutes is meditation. But the problem with high performing individuals is that when they make their list, it's that um, classic New Year's resolution, right? I'm not going to have any alcohol for the entire month. I'm not, I'm going to work out three times a week. I'm going to work out. Like you try to put so much emphasis and pressure on yourself that when you, you know, I hate to say it, inevitably, you know, fall off the wagon, you lead yourself down that shame spiral, that judgment, and then it's really hard to dig out of that. So I I heard this in a book, Liz, oh, I'm blanking on her last name. She's the editor-in-chief of Women's Health Magazine here in the US. She was on a podcast with Jay Shetty and they were talking about reframing things. What is the bare minimum you could do? Okay, I know I can sit for two minutes, then do that. We'll take it back even a step further. If just the idea of sitting throws your mind into a panic, start with a moving meditation. That's the things that I like to make people aware of, that there's so many different times of meditation. There's so many different ways to implement mindfulness into your day-to-day that you can really stack those habits. It doesn't have to be this big two-hour long ritual because we're already doing that with like our face regimen, right? We're already trying to do the most in our life. We're trying to get enough sleep, trying to eat well, trying to spend enough time with our families, trying to do all these things. And then when someone's like, you should start meditating, you're like, oh, Great. One more thing. Let's start small. Start two, start five minutes. A lot of people don't even realize that they can meditate with their eyes open. Sometimes eyes close and stillness, depending on people's backgrounds, whether it's trauma with a big T or little T, they feel uncomfortable being in that space. But people don't know, oh, I can sit there with my eyes open. Oh, I can walk around my apartment or my house just breathing. And that's meditating. Yeah, I did not realize that. And to be honest, when you say two minutes, I'm like, that's a waste of time. Two minutes? Like, Come on, what can you really get done in two minutes? Which is, the again, the high-performing brain, right? I like that challenge of reframing, even introducing small habits like that. And I suppose the difference that they can make. Yeah, and that's where it like really leads into that, um, the stress that we put on ourselves. Most of the stress that we put on ourselves is all self-perceived. What is our outside image? How do we feel like people are going to view us? And don't get me started on like the mom shaming that we think is happening, right? And just the mom guilt. I'm not going to have time to do all this because I should be doing this and this and be like, no, I have to make the time to do this because if I don't breathe, then I'm going to lose it. And then that's not good for anyone, right? Start small. Start with one day a week. 
pick one habit, pick one place that you want to implement mindfulness. One moment that you want to start meditating with. It's in the morning, in the afternoon, in the day. Start small. Choose one day. Let that habit start. Feel how it feels in your body. Get comfortable with it. Master that small aspect of it. And then maybe you move up to three minutes, five minutes. I'd much rather somebody meditate for five minutes for six months and then decide that they maybe want to get into like 20, 30 minutes because you're still getting the same benefits, but it's going to help build that practice. My definition of mindfulness, the true definition of mindfulness is um, it's the act of paying attention on purpose without judgment. And so how I implement it for my own definition is mindfulness is creating the space between the action and the reaction. So that space is that pause. And it kind of allows you to slip in between the moment, see things with how they are, perceive them without judgment, see why you're being triggered, why your reaction is the way it is. And then giving yourself that split second to say, am I going to react this way or am I going to react this way? That's really powerful, Rosa, because as you mentioned, as mums with a lot on our plates and then the stress and the pressure that we all feel on a daily basis about a variety of things, creating that space before we have a response could change everything, right? It could be really powerful. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good practice with everything, with partners, with kids, with animals. <laughs> but it is because we think that we have to have this immediate reaction. But instead, we can look at the things that are upsetting us, the things that are causing us stress, and allow that space. What if I would just take that small pause a good example, I was cooking dinner earlier. My daughter loves to squeeze herself between me and the oven when she wants to be picked up, which is not only a dangerous place for her to squeeze herself to, but she's pushing me away and I'm trying to cook at the same time. And she's going on, she's screaming, up, oh, please, mommy, and the dogs are barking and it's just it can be a lot, right? And so easy, it can create that moment of stress where we snap, snap at her, snap at the dogs. And then what happens after that, right? We go into that mom guilt. Oh, I should have been more patient. I shouldn't have snapped at them. I'm sorry I snapped. You know, but instead, what if we can just take that moment? You know, you kind of ignore them a little bit. They'll be fine, right? And you just take that deep breath for yourself. So that way you can do your best to have that, you know, reaction when you, when you are at your best versus when you're at your stress. Yeah, that reminds me when, so I've got two boys, right? I've got Spencer who's four and a half and Sam is one and a half. And I was very triggered with Spencer. He didn't sleep hardly like for a long time. He screamed. Something was probably up and I just thought it was normal. So I never actually got it looked at. He's fine. But as a newborn, it was tough. And then um, I made kind of a more of a decision when Sam was born. I was like, well, look, if that ever happens again, there's things that I know now that I should do. I should put him in the cot and let him cry for a few minutes while I go out and get some sun or like take a deep breath or things that you can kind of manage your response, like you're saying. And I think that that's really powerful taking that idea, but into motherhood then, not just in the postpartum when we're sleep deprived, but there's plenty of things that can stress us out or these moments where we're triggered <laughs> as parents of whatever age our kids are. So kind of taking that thought into motherhood as you continue down that journey, right? Yes. And I love what you said too, that it's not just postpartum. Pregnancy in of itself, uh, this was uh, my first child. She's a year and a half. And 
thank goodness for my mindfulness practice and for my meditation and just for that ability to kind of step outside myself, to have that practice and knowing that not every thought that I think is true or is reality. Because we're very good at hurting our own feelings. We're very good at scaring ourselves into a panic. And there would be times that you know, you don't feel them moving for a little bit. And then our minds like to go to the deepest and darkest place. And for some people, they've experienced that deepest, darkest part as a reality. And so it's so easy to allow your brain to go to that dark space. And it's a practice of constantly stepping outside of yourself, seeing it for what it is, and then bringing yourself back to reality, bringing yourself back into that present moment and that's something that it's, it carries through to the, you know, to the postpartum, but it carries with us even in, you know, labor and delivery, because that's all of the things I always tell people, I'm like, I have a really hard time getting my feelings hurt because I'm very good hurting my own feelings. <laughs> the greatest advice I ever heard was you don't have to believe everything that you think. And that seems so foreign because you're like, it's my head, it's my thoughts. Of course I have to believe it. But the way that our minds work is that it's constantly looking for the problem to solve. It's constantly looking for the next thing. And that is why stillness and meditation feels so odd at first. But then when you develop that practice, you almost crave that stillness because the mind is always going a million miles a minute every day. And to debunk another thing that is commonly you know, misconceptualized about meditation is that you hear, just quiet the mind. You're like, well, a lot easier said than done. I've got a grocery list going, you know, a mile along already. I've got my to-do list over here. And the part that's not true is that it's not about quieting the mind. It's about noticing the thoughts, doing your best to not go down the rabbit holes. And every time you do, bringing it back, resetting and restarting as many times as you need. Let's use that two-minute meditation as an example. If you have to reset and restart like 20 times in that two minutes, that's okay. You're bringing that awareness back to that present moment. So our minds like to live in the past and they like to live in the future. So it's a practice of being present. I would love to dive into this discussion around stress and pregnancy because I think it's something that's not often talked about. We often hear the idea of pregnancy as all the all the warm fuzzy things, right? All the like, oh my gosh, you know, you're growing another human being and how amazing and they're kicking and you must be so excited and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Not blah, 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 but blah, blah, blah. Um, and we don't often talk about like the stress that, like you said, like what can actually happen in our mind when we are thinking about all the what ifs, because there are so many, especially when we're pregnant for the first time, but still with subsequent children, because it can always be different experiences. So I'd love to talk a little bit just about how to overcome that and how to bring ourselves back. What kind of insight would you have to share around that? My favorite insight to share is, Something that I personally just had this realization with in my pregnancy was that like we are freaking magical creatures. We're growing a baby, we're growing a whole nother organ, and then we push both of those things out at the end of it, right? I think a lot of people forget that you're growing another organ at the same time. When you can realize how incredible this whole process is, the almost the divinity and like what's happening, it allows you to see it in a different light, I feel like. For each moment that you get to um, experience something new, and I would sometimes describe it as it feels like you're playing a video game, to be honest. It's like you get, and each week is a different level, and each symptom is a new like kingpin that you have to <laughs> defeat. But the crazy part is, is that like you said, 
from pregnancy to pregnancy, it's different. And some people have it easier. Some people have it more difficult. Hormones are different in every single person. But regardless, it's the first time is very special because everything feels new. I remember so many times my doctor being like, well, have you experienced any breaths and hicks? And I'm like, I don't know. How are you supposed to know what something feels like that you've never felt before? And then even to the moment when I was in labor, my doula, you know, going through these things. And then I remember again, um, the moment the doctor was like, okay, well, let me know when you're ready to push. And I'm like, once again, how am I supposed to? But then when you're in it, you're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. Because I was able to do um, a natural labor. I was in labor for 19 hours with back labor, which was way less fun. Thank goodness for a doula and my husband counter pressure all the time. But I think it's so important to have the practice of connecting as silly as it sounds. I know it sounds very woo woo. um, But having that moment because it is such an intimate moment that you're together. This is the only time that you're going to be as close. You literally cannot get closer to this little human that is about to enter this world. And having those moments of quiet intention to just sit, to be, to listen to your own thoughts that are just coming up and exploring that and being curious. I think ultimately creating your own affirmations, that really helped me around there. It gives your mind something to anchor to. Whether women decide to have epidurals, whether it's cesarean, whether it's natural, you know, the whole spectrum of how birthing a baby can look. You know, you have to get to that point first. You have to get from your house or your home or your location to the hospital. So in that interim, you know, it's that mind. And I give, I love analogies. So I give the analogy of um, running a marathon, right? No one just woke up and was like, I think I'm going to run a marathon today and then go run some marathon, right? Some people do, but they're crazy. (laughs) But most of the time there is months and months of training. And I think that's where we kind of disconnected our birthing experience with pregnancy is that it does happen every single day. Women all over the world give birth. So why do you have to do anything different? But I feel like there's so much more prep work that goes into it that could be so useful. And all of that prep work is around our mindset. I knew that for myself, if I didn't stay clear mind anchored into my affirmations, into my thoughts, into my breathing, that... I could not let the fear and anxiety set in because once that fear and anxiety sets into the mind, you lose control of your body. If anybody's ever experienced a panic attack, you know, pregnancy aside, they know this. Anybody who's ever, you know, felt extreme stress, um, anxiety, scared, they know that, right? Your body takes over because your body goes into that fight or flight and you often do not have control over that until that experience is passed. And so controlling that mindset staying grounded in that moment, controlling the thoughts, controlling the emotion, you have control over the whole body. You can't let that darkness slip in. And so the reason why it's so important to practice this before that day comes is so when you practice something over and over and over again, it's familiar. So that way, when the moment happens, you don't have to necessarily think twice about these like practices. I know how to do this. I can lean back into this. I can rely on those. And if I can just stay here, then I know I can get through it. I love that so much. Just two things I want to chat about there. I um, think a lot of the pregnancy 
related stress, like you were saying, is taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture and how incredible it is that our bodies can do this. I think it also then comes back to trusting the process. And I know everybody's experience is so different, but like you gave the example earlier about like when the baby hasn't moved for a little while and you immediately go into this stress, like, oh my gosh, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it's like, hang on, being able to stop your thought process, right? And going trusting like, okay, look, Maybe we do need to go and get checked out, but right now I'm going to trust that everything's okay. Everything's the way it's meant to be and slowing that train of thought down from where it was heading. Because once it takes off, it's gone, right? <laughs> once it takes off and it's hard to bring it back. So I think bringing, remembering that, you know, our bodies are in control of this process and trusting that we've also surrounded ourselves with health professionals and and the right support services to go and get checked out and have that peace of mind but once again bringing it right back to the whole fact that not we were born to do this but like our body's got this we you know our body is able and and willing to do this yeah exactly and i think to controlling what you intake in regards to social media youtube videos Unfortunately, you know, the baby industry loves to fear monger, especially new moms. They have created a device that you can literally, you know, um, monitor every single aspect of this little human. And I think, I, I mean, at least I know for myself, you know, the moment that you think you're pregnant, you're, you're Googling or YouTube and you're like, signs of pregnancy in the first two weeks. And they're like, science is still happening. Your body's still, you know, and so it's like, you're trying to um, find every single thing. And I really appreciate when people who put their stories up on YouTube put either positive pregnancy story, positive birth story, or negative and put a trigger warning there because then you can make that intention. I don't want to watch this. I only want to watch positive stories. And, you know, I struggle with that a little bit. I'm like, is that being naive? Is it not being naive? But sometimes like more information is just more information, right? So cross those bridges when you get there. But for the most part, try to take in positive birth stories, positive birth experiences, positive pregnancy stories, because there are so many out there. And I think the people who are having difficulties in their pregnancies or difficulties in their birth, they will find the stories that resonate with them. But and it's and so this is such a like a tricky topic and conversation because everyone's pregnancy experience is different. And so I want to be mindful and respectful of everybody who has had to deal with things when it's not easygoing. But I think keeping for the most part to only consuming positive stories and not seeking out negative, not seeking out things just to make your mind feel worse sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think as well, like listening to that, now I sound really woo-woo, but like listening to that inner being, yeah, right? Like of like, so if you need, if you need more information to feel at ease, seek the information that you need. But a lot of the times, as as an example, when I was pregnant with Spencer, I went three quarters of my pregnancy without looking at anything. I was in this bubble of like, nope, my body will know what to do when it's time. I don't want to know it. I just don't want to know. I just want to keep my head down and get through it. And and then I end up going to like a prenatal class at the hospital where they showed you all the, you know, this is how the baby comes up down the birthing canal and all the pictures and all the things. And I got into the car and I was a mess. I was so stressed and so anxious and I was bawling to my husband. And I was like, and he was trying to comfort me. Like, it's okay. I'm like, it's okay for you to say that. You don't have to go through this. Like, and then I got into this place. I got home and I was like, I need information. Like knowledge is power and I need to understand what is ahead of me. Again, I didn't go down a rabbit hole of looking at negative stuff. It was definitely 
positive birth stories, but I needed to understand like, what are my options? What could happen? If this happens, this is my choice. And I needed to communicate that with Nick so that he could be my voice if I couldn't speak for myself. Um, but mainly because, you know, I'm breathing and pain and stuff. So I think it's really important to just be really in tune with yourself and what you need at that place in time. Um, and then as we said, like kind of surrounding yourself with people that can support you and the choices that you're making. Um, but Rosa, I, I wanted to mention as well, like when you're talking about how powerful your mind is, it blew me away. So I read a book in my pregnancy that was by Juju... Sunken, I think her name is. And she is very much about natural labor and all these different pain management techniques that don't involve medication. And I was like, I was very curious to see whether I could do it. I had no idea what my pain threshold was like. I, you know, complain when I get a headache. So I was like, I, I, I'll probably be the first one to put my hand up for an epidural and I'm okay with that. But let's, let's go down this route and just see what it's about. And I read this book and it had so many stories and so many examples. And like you said, it was all about starting to do practices that involved every other part of your body that wasn't in pain, right? So your arms, your legs, your voice, your mind to try to combat the pain that you're feeling in your uterus giving birth and um, or around that part of your body. And so it was the stomping, it was the, the breathing techniques, it was the visualizations and coming from somebody that was never very woo-woo, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so, no, this is good. Well, I'll, I'll try it, but I wasn't 100% invested. Or However, when I was in labor with Spencer, um, I was induced and it was about, it was like a 12 or maybe 15 hour labor or something like that. It was quite quite a long period of time. It was so interesting to me that when I stopped, so when I had this had this um, stress ball that I'd pound and count one, two, like in the contractions, count through them. When I lost that or when I stopped that, the pain would then come back. But while I was doing it and my mind was distracted on something else, I could handle it. It was it, it blew me away. And I think it just sort of goes back. It just made me remember and goes back to the power of the mind. And like you were saying, if you can do these practices and have these kind of tools in your toolkit before you go into labor, you're just in such a better position to handle it. Yes, exactly. And I love that. I, I read um, like some people put a comb in their hand and like squeeze that. And it really is just that distracting method of doing that. But yeah, and there's there's just so many different ways, right? But ultimately, when it comes down to this, when it comes down to anything, you know, you're trying to release and relieve that tension in your body. I always give um, the example that there is nothing, and I've tried to find examples that, you know, contradict my hypothesis, but there is nothing, sports-wise, anything that tells you that if you are tight and tensed, that it's going to go better. Sports, what is the first thing they have them do, right? Hey, loosen up, breathe. Singers, who, when they're getting ready to go on stage, same thing, loose. Deep breaths in, deep breaths out. Speakers, musicians, like there's literally the whole spectrum. And so I try to bring breathing around to those examples because it's a lot more tangible in that aspect. So it's not necessarily woo. It's like breathing, the simplicity of breathing, our actual life force is so important in all these little micro areas and people who are in those they get it but maybe they don't even connect the dots between the two they may not see oh I guess I mean um you know people who play instruments for example have amazing lung capacity who are playing like the woodwind instruments right brass I don't know I wasn't I was a theater person I wasn't in maybe this is a bad example maybe I should talk about something I specifically know about <laughs> but to the point like, you know, having to inhale. Swimmers, 
you know, holding breath, having capacity, they can relate that to breathing. They understand how important that is, how it regulates the nervous system. People who have panic attacks, what are they given? The bag, right, to breathe into. And it's giving them a visualization, inhale, exhale. And so it's the same element, just in so many different places, given different titles, called something different, but it's all the same. What I love about the breath specifically is that it straddles that line between the conscious and the subconscious. Your breath will come and go whether you call upon it or not, but when you need more of it, it's there at your beck and call. And we know this and we do this automatically, actually. You just did it. It's a big sigh out, right? It's a natural reaction, taking in more air and letting it out. And so I think that's what is so beautiful about the breath is how we can regulate it and how it connects to the entire nervous system and how it really can calm. And what I enjoy teaching is the science behind it, because as much as I do love my woo-woo side, I am also very analytical when it comes to the things. And I can be like, yes, I can see that breathing is good for me, but why specifically is it important? Why specifically is mindset important? And it goes back to the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. You know, our ancestors, when we were being chased by saber-toothed tigers, it would kick us into high gear and so that way we could escape. Today, those saber-toothed tigers are full inboxes, but our minds don't differentiate the two. It's actually really interesting that perceived fear and actual fear, it regulates or it stimulates this exact same part of the brain. And so if you can put yourself into that practice, for example, when you're pregnant, create your affirmations, create the meditations, create that space that you can go to that you're like, this feels like home. This feels centered. This feels good. I know what it feels like to be here. So when you're in labor, you can go back to that home base. The mind, it allows it to get to that space where it says, nope, here's where I'm at. Here's where it feels good. Here's where it feels balanced. Here's where it feels like home. Here's where it feels safe. And then from there, you really become tuned in to what's going on to the body. Going back to the maternal instincts, we know when something's not right and we can speak on that. But You have to have that practice so that way you know, is something really not right or is my brain making up stories? Is my mind making up stories? Because again, our minds are very good at creating stories. Mm. Oh my goodness. So good. So powerful. So valuable. Thank you so much for coming on and just being such an open book about all of this. As you can tell, um, we could probably talk about this for hours, <laughs> but I just really appreciate the openness that you have around this whole topic. And I love I love the fact that you could tie this into whether you're pregnant, about to go into labor, in postpartum, or just a mum in business that is stressed and has a lot going on. I think creating that space, like you mentioned, and using your breath and coming back to that safe place, that that's where you're reacting from. That's where you're responding out of. I can just see that being so transformative, regardless of where you're at in this kind of mum journey. Exactly. And just, I love to leave that people with a takeaway as far as, you know, what we talked about and putting yourself first, it's not selfish, asking for help truly when you need it, stop trying to be the martyr, ask for help when you need it from your spouse, from your kids, allow things to be easy. Sometimes they're allowed to be easy. They don't have to be hard all the time and just start small, go for the low hanging fruit. Don't try to do everything at once. Keep a very, very small practice and build from there. So good. Where can we send people to connect with you more? What's the best place for them to go? The best place is on my Instagram, which is just at wellbeingwithrosa. Uh, My website is rosacastano.com. 
I get really tired of seeing my name all these places, but Instagram is probably the best place, just at Wellbeing with Rosa. Lovely. And we'll have all the links in the show notes for anyone that is tuning in and wants to go and check you out. But thank you again for being here. I really, really loved our chat. Uh, likewise, thank you for being such a fun facilitator for the conversation.